Those words that that Elder Ryan read from James chapter 1. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Hear those words and allow them as we get ready to go into John today to just rest on your heart. That this isn't, I don't know, it's not some sort of lecture where if, if you gain this information and you take it home, we've achieved the goal. The goal is not for you to look in the mirror. The goal is for you to remember what you look like when you leave. Otherwise, there is no point to look in the mirror. The point is for us to allow the word of God to collide with the way that our hearts want to live and then for us to continue in it. That's when, when I think about kickoff Sunday, this is why I get excited. It kind of feels like New Year's. Like my job revolves around this. It's kind of like when harvest starts, the very first day of the combine goes out. There's something about it. Once it starts, it's begun. And it's exciting and it's a season of life. It's the best time, right? I don't know. That's next week for me. That's when you're in this line of work, when that kicks off, all bets are off. That, that's it. This is where we launch. This is where we go. And we have a chance to do something with it this year. We have a chance to be intentional with it. We do. We can be intentional with it, with all the different ministries that we interact with, to be intentional with them. The way we teach our kids in Sunday school, to be intentional with it. The way we interact with the resources in the library, the way that we take our families to family ministries, the men's and women's groups that we're a part of, the life groups that we're a part of, to be intentional with them. Not just to do them because we always do them. To look in the mirror, and walk away, forget what we look like. To make something out of this. Because God's word is ready to shape our hearts. He's ready. The question is, are we? I am. But I'm always excited about stuff like this. I hope that you are too. That wasn't the sermon. Don't think it's done just because I'm wrapping up here. We're just getting fired up here. We're going to have a lot of fun this morning as we open God's word. The gospel of John concludes this morning as we read through it. And we started this a year ago. And the hope is that by believing in Jesus, we would find what in his name? We would find life in his name. And for a year, we've talked about this life. He offers it to the cripple by the pool, waiting to get in the water before it's stirred. The Samaritan woman hiding at the well because she's too embarrassed to be around everyone else. And Jesus offers to her life. The man who can't see sent to the pool to go wash his eyes. Jesus hands back life. He shows up to Mary and Martha and they're grieving. Their brother's dead. Jesus offers life. And then as Peter and all of them sit around with Jesus at that last supper, as you see the communion elements in front of me, as they sit around and Jesus tells them, I'm going to give up my life so that this new kingdom might be built of people who are forgiven of their sins. They're going to find life. They're going to find life. So today in the Gospel of John, we're going to encounter Simon Peter with Jesus in chapter 21. They set the context for this, though. Peter has failed the Lord. He had promised that he would follow Jesus, he said, even until death. Fearless Peter. And yet the moment he stood at the fire at the high priest's courtyard and the servant girl is asking, do you follow him? Peter didn't have the heart to say yes. Instead, in fear, he said no. And now Jesus has come back from the dead. He's stood around the disciples. He's revealed himself to them. There is life. 
And yet we encounter Peter. He's not mentioned. Like he's, he's not the main character in these little stories as Jesus comes back and appears. He's kind of hidden amongst the group, but he was supposed to be the leader. He was supposed to lead the way. Today, Jesus finds him back at the Sea of Galilee, back on his fishing boat. But we're going to read a few verses first to prepare for that. First, we're going to read the call of Simon. You see, this is Luke 5. And I think once you read this and we go to John 21, you'll understand why the call of Simon Peter is so instrumental in the reinstatement of Peter at the very end. To know, why he's need, to know why he needs this life to be given back to him, you need to know where he came from and his first interaction with Jesus. So let's read these verses from Luke 5, and let's see how they fit with John 21. Luke 5, chapter 1, begins like this. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, so that's the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around Jesus, listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. I imagine Peter didn't think when he went fishing all of that night that his fishing boat was going to turn into the preacher's pulpit the next morning. The poor guy has to be exhausted. He's out washing his nets. He spent the whole night dipping them in the sea with all the other fishermen. Because if you're good at fishing in the Sea of Galilee, you go at night. You know that's when the fish are active, so you go out then. But here he is with empty nets and empty boats. Complete failure at the one thing he does is fish. And the preacher says, let's just push the pulpit a little further out. How about Simon? Would that be okay? And imagine at this point in the story, Simon has no idea, who is this teacher that people follow? Why does he want my fishing boat? But out they go. Verse 4 says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water. Let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So now the preacher doesn't just need a pulpit. He's a fishing expert. And after Peter all night has thrown the net, pulled it in, thrown the net, pulled it in, the preacher says, do you know what? Like, what's the harm? One more throw. Just toss it. You just scrubbed it. I watched you scrub it while I was preaching. Great job. Dip it in the water one more time. This time, I'll sit and watch. And Peter's reaction is, okay. In it goes. And then it happens. He encounters the divine. All of a sudden, a lake that didn't have a fish all night long has fish swirling in this net to the point where it's beginning to break, where the boat is beginning to sink. Peter hasn't simply encountered a preacher. This isn't just another rabbi. It's, just, it's not another speaker of the word of God. What has he encountered? The one who created the fish that swim in the water, he's encountered that teacher. That's who he's encountered this day on the water. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people, right? You'll be a fisher of men. 
So they pulled their boats up on the shore. He left everything and followed. Just drops it and walks away. His nets were breaking. James and John are bringing out their boats as fast as they can. They're full of fish. The boats are beginning to sink. And he just walks away from it. Why? Why does he humble himself? Why does he lower himself in the presence of this teacher and admit his sinfulness? Because he realizes he's in the presence of holiness. Holiness exposes sinfulness. And in the presence of someone so much greater and grander than Peter, he understands his position. Think of it this way. The miracle defines and reveals Jesus' identity as God. And then as that identity is made clear, it actually reveals Peter's identity. I'm sinful. He's holy. My fishing and my boat and my life's, my life's work, it just it pales in comparison to this, to God, the Messiah. He drops everything to follow. Like a farmer going out into his field and combining the largest crop that he's ever seen, knowing that it was God's hand in the work. And it moves him to the point where he turns off the combine, leaves the hopper full, and just walks off the field. He doesn't need it anymore. He's encountered something greater than the miracle. He's encountered the God of the miracle. This is Simon's introduction to Jesus. That's why it makes so much more sense when we get into the gospel of John that this is the reaction of Simon when Jesus and them are having the Last Supper. I'm going to read a few, well, a few verses from 13, then we'll jump to 18, then we'll jump to 21, and then the sermon will begin. So just like, give me a minute here. So, listen to this. I'll read this to you. This is John 13. When Judas, when he had gone... We'll get to John 21 in a second. Hold on. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified. God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And of course, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Where I'm going, Jesus replied, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. See, Jesus is introducing to them for the tenth time the fact that he's leaving soon. And Simon, of course, needs to remind God, God, I gave up everything for you. Wherever you're going, I'm coming. Like, if you're leaving town, I'm coming. If you're leaving the country, I'm coming. If it means that we go through the Romans, I'm coming. Do you think I'm going back to the boats and the nets? I left them behind. I'm coming. If it costs me my life, I'm going. Jesus says, but you won't. Not now. It'll be later, but it's not now. That must stun Peter. God, look at the evidence. I haven't touched the boats in three years. I'm not quitting now. But just a couple chapters later, in 18, the servant girl asks Simon Peter, are you one of this man's disciples too? You aren't, are you? He says, I'm not. 
And meanwhile, Simon was standing at the fire warming himself, and the people asked him, you're not one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I'm not. And one of the high priest's servants, it was a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. Thanks for that, Peter. And he challenged him and said, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And that's when the rooster crowed. He thought this evidence of the life that he had left behind was proof of how dedicated he was. Because if we work hard enough, if we pursue God vigorously enough, Peter thought that he could push through the fear that he was going to encounter. He thought he could do it. And Jesus reveals to him, you're not going to be able to. And he doesn't. Three times. Do you follow Jesus? I don't follow him. But no, you must follow Jesus. I don't follow him. No, I saw you in the garden. You follow Jesus. I don't follow him. From the one that said he would die to follow Jesus wherever he would go. This is the Simon that we encounter in John 21. And in this story, this is the reinstatement of Simon. What's neat about this, you're going to notice in this story, Jesus starts using his name again, Simon. Instead of calling him Peter, Simon, 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 son of John, he's going to call him. He goes back to this language from before they were even friends and uses his original name, Simon. Oh, I'm excited. Let's read John 21. So this is verse 1 of the final chapter of John's gospel. This is after Jesus has risen from the dead and he's revealed himself to his disciples. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, they called him Didymus, Nathaniel, that guy was from Cana, that's in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, so James and John, and two other disciples were together. That's seven of them. What's that symbolic of? I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, they got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I think we've seen this before. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Thank you for asking. Just kidding. He said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Then they did. And they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Do you see the similarities in this? They're out fishing. They've had no luck on their own. The identity of Jesus is a mystery to them. It's a secret. They've been working out this all night, and they haven't brought their boats in. So what does that tell you? They're still actively fishing. It hasn't worked. Otherwise, they'd be in with their catch. They're out trying to do this on their own. And Jesus, just like his first time with Simon, says to him, try the other side. And they're probably thinking to themselves that this idea is ridiculous. For what, seven, eight, nine hours? They've fished. They've tried both sides of the boat, don't you think? And yet this mysterious person on the shore says to give it a try, and they do. And it works. It absolutely works. Can't you imagine? Can't you imagine John, James, Simon? Like their, their minds going back to that first time on the Sea of Galilee when the net went in and it came out and it started to break because Jesus revealed himself to them. This is verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, 
It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore. It was about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. The identity of Jesus is revealed. And Peter's first reaction is to rush towards him. Well, Peter had stripped down half his clothes. He had worked all night long. So first, he gets dressed, and he jumps into the lake and soaks his whole self. And John points out later, we were 100 yards from shore. He could have helped bring the nets in. But he just he jumped in, and he ran, and he left them to do all the work. But he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus, and he just went. And he gets there, and there's a fire of burning coals. One commentary I was reading said the only other fire of burning coals we see in John's gospel is the fire that Peter warmed himself around when he denied being a follower of Jesus. And now Jesus welcomes Peter back to him around the fire. I thought that was pretty neat. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. That's where everyone goes, wow, 153. I imagine it's impressive. John wrote it down. That must have been crazy for their nets. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Amazing. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. You remember the miracle of the multiplication of food to 5,000 people. First, the bread is passed out to everyone, and then the fish. We're seeing these glimpses of Jesus and symbols of him right here in this story. He didn't need Simon's fish. Jesus had fish. He had bread at the fire. Jesus is fine without the work of Simon. And yet, he invites Simon to bring in some of his work to be a part of the breakfast, but he didn't need it. There's something to that. Because he's about to ask Simon Peter one more time to become a fisher of men. But I think Jesus is fine without us. He is self-sufficient without us. But he welcomes in the catch that Peter takes. You notice Jesus' reaction to Simon This is the first personal conversation they've had together. And instead of Jesus taking Simon's mistakes and waving them in front of Simon, instead of him shaming him, saying, Simon, the last time you and I hung out, you denied following me, didn't you? You be embarrassed of yourself, Simon. I thought you said you were the fearless one, Simon. There's none of that. In the presence of Jesus, Simon's welcomed right in. This record of wrongs doesn't exist. Who does that? Who does that? And this is where it gets heavy. This is their conversation with each other. Verse 15. The scripture says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. 
The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that time because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. If you've heard this passage preached before, You'll notice similarities. You'll notice differences. You'll notice that it's lambs and sheep and sheep. You'll notice that it's feed them and then take care of them and then feed them again. It's young followers of Jesus. It's mature followers of Jesus. They're going to need shepherding. They're going to need teaching. And what's the role of the elders and pastors in the early church? To be shepherds and caregivers and teachers to the young and to the old. And if you've heard this passage preached before, you'll know the differences in the word love. And it's neat when you look into it. And I think we have to be careful that when we teach people what the ancient languages mean and what they say, especially Greek, in moments like this, that we allow it to bring the themes out of the story and not distract from the themes of the story. Jesus and Simon are using different words for love. Jesus asks him, do you love me? And it's agape love, which is sacrificial, life-giving love. Do you love me sacrificially, Simon? And Simon responds with the Greek word phileo. It's friendship love. It's like a companion. And Jesus says, Jesus, I love you like a friend. And Jesus says, no, do you love me sacrificially, Simon? And he says, I love you like a friend. And a third time Jesus asked him, but he switched to the other love and says, do you love me as a friend, Simon? And Jesus goes, I love you as a friend, Jesus. That sacrificial love, well, the evidence of a couple chapters ago, it doesn't exist in Simon. He wasn't willing to lay down his life sacrificially. We know what kind of love Simon has inside of his heart. And this this is where Jesus changes the narrative in verse 18 and 19. These will be the last verses that we'll read together this morning. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself. You went where you wanted. But when you are old, take a look up here at the cross as we read these verses together. But when you are old, You will stretch out your hands, Simon, and someone else will dress you, and they will lead you somewhere where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And we learn from history that Simon was crucified. That was how he was killed. Simon, you don't believe that this kind of sacrificial love exists inside of you. And I know at the fire, you denied me multiple times. Three times, in fact. But Simon, it exists in you. You were the one who dropped your boat and your net and you walked away. You left everything to follow me. That exists inside of you. One day, you're going to stretch out your hands, your clothes are going to be taken off, and you're going to be dressed in something you don't want to wear, led somewhere where you don't want to go, and you are going to die for me. It exists inside of you. And your job is to feed and care for the people who will believe in me once I'm gone. All of the lambs and sheep need care, Simon. It belongs to you now. And then he said to Simon, follow me. Simon, this is inside of you. Follow me. Simon, you might not feel like you're strong enough to do this. You might not feel like you're equipped enough to do this. Follow me. 
You just wonder if, if Simon's memory is going back to those moments at the sea when he left the boat behind. He was so excited to leave everything and follow. And Jesus is reaching out again. Follow me now, Simon. Follow me. As I read through this scripture this week, I was thinking of different people in the church, different situations you might go through when you become this person in this encounter with Jesus. I thought of a young Christian, someone whose faith is just beginning, someone whose love for Jesus is on the surface. It's friendship. The kind of love they have for Jesus isn't sacrificial. It's companion. And Jesus is reaching out, saying, come deeper, follow me. I've revealed myself to you. Come, drop everything and come. And maybe that's you this morning. Are you willing to leave your life behind and follow after this Jesus? And your faith in him is new and it's young. Will you follow? Someone else at this sermon might reach out to is the Christian who has struggled and failed. Your faith at one time was strong. You were passionate about following Jesus. You had left everything to follow him, but now maybe you've sinned, you've struggled, you've let it go. The habits have changed, the relationship has changed. And you think that going back to him now, why would he want me? He's seen the failure. He's seen the sin in my life. I've disappointed Jesus. I'm broken. Why would he want me now? Maybe that's you. And as Jesus reached out to Simon, this broken man who'd struggled with fear and fallen short in his faith, like I said, Jesus isn't throwing his mistakes back at him. He's extending his hand. Follow me. Do you love me? Yes? Then follow me. But Jesus, I've made mistakes. I know you have. That's the point. No one in this room is good enough for Jesus. Give your head a shake if you think you are. Come on. We're here because we need him. We need help. We're not here because we're self-sufficient. We're here because the master offers us something that we can't find on our own. The forgiveness of our sins and brand new life. The example that I thought of for myself, though, as I read this, is the position of a shepherd. I am someone who, for the last decade of my life, have been taking care of sheep. And it's now the thing that I get most excited about in this whole world. And yet, I am not perfect at it. And I struggle with it. And I don't feel qualified for it a lot of the time. Do you know why? Because I think in my own mind, back to my struggles and my weaknesses and my sin. And you don't see that. And I think about it all the time. Because I don't feel qualified to be the shepherd of people. I know what I've done in the past. I know the areas where I'm not strong. How could I possibly be the shepherd? And then you read this. Jesus didn't ask Simon for a list of his strengths. He didn't remind Simon of all his past successes. He didn't say, Simon, don't you remember years ago you were so good, and you were so good, and that thing you did was so good, you'll be fine. He asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Simon says, yes. And Jesus says, perfect. That's all I need. Let's go. You'll get the Holy Spirit. I'll take care of the rest. Do you love me? I think as a leader in the church, like some of us are just wired for this stuff. Some of us were just born and designed to take care of the church family. And often, we can look at that work and then not think we're good enough. We can think of that work and then we can leave it for someone else. But I think there's a group of people in the church family, including myself, who are called to this life. And we need to step up. We need to rise up into this. Not dwell on all the, the reasons why we're not good enough and not qualified for it. Realizing that if we love Jesus, then he will equip us to be effective ministers of the gospel. But some of us were meant to feed the lambs and the sheep. 
And our church family needs those people. They need a pastor. They need people who are competent shepherds to lead. And I can't wake up every day and think about the reasons why I'm not qualified. I need to remember the God who qualified me. I wonder if that resonates with you, resonates with me. As we get ready to approach the communion tables, we're reminded of the Last Supper. We're reminded of that moment Jesus sat with his best friends and passed this around and said that he would be leaving. But it would be for their forgiveness. It would be a symbol of a promise, a brand new life. And around that table were various different kinds of people. But at that moment, they were all equal. They were all participating in communion together equally. So whether there's people in this room who are brand new Christians or young Christians and their faith isn't deep yet, it's on the surface, but it's growing, you are welcome at this table. And if there's people in this church family who have struggled with sin, who have fallen short, who see themselves as a failure, as broken, as undeserving Jesus, you are equal at this table. And if there's people in this church who've been called and equipped to lead the family, and you don't feel good enough, or you don't feel qualified, or you constantly reflect, reflect on your own weaknesses too, you are equal at this table, just like I am. I don't approach this table as, as the pastor and the minister. I approach this table as Darren, the kid that was saved by Jesus. And one day I'll approach the table with my little boys and they'll take communion once they understand the saving faith in Jesus. And I'll approach them on a level playing field, like them and me together. I don't deserve this more than they do. I don't get this because I'm better than they are. We're all even at this table. From the youngest to the old who believe, to the newest Christian, to the oldest Christian, this sacrifice is evenly distributed as graciousness to all of us. <clears throat> but the last slide, I thought of this verse from John 10. We're all sheep that hear the voice of the shepherd we know his voice, we need to follow him. Just like Ryan read from James today, it's so easy to look in the mirror, it's so easy to hear some of the scripture read and think, yes, spot on pastor, and you go home and you forget what was said. Just like looking in a mirror and walking away. What I'm inviting you into is to reflect on this and allow it to shape the way you live your life. Allow the word of God, allow the elements of communion to shape your faith and then make a decision when you leave this room. Are you going to follow? Are you going to follow? Some of you have been Christians 50 years, 70 years. I'm saying today again, just remind yourself, am I willing to follow? I am. I am. I'm willing to follow. I'll follow my shepherd anywhere. So as the people who are serving communion come forward to get the elements ready, and it looks like as some of the elements are going to be carried around the room to those who need help getting some of the elements, I'm just going to pray. Music is going to be played up here on the stage, and you are welcome <clears throat> to slowly come down to the front and receive the communion. Take your time. Come as a family. Come when you're ready. And when you come here, if you want to close your eyes and say a prayer, if you want to say thank you, it's up to you. But I invite you to come down and participate in this. Let me pray and we'll take our communion together. <clears throat> Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the invitation to come to your table and follow you. Thank you for the invitation to come and receive forgiveness of our sins and be welcomed in to a brand new covenant and a brand new promise. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your sacrifice on the cross defeated sin and your resurrection 
death to life. Like, thank you that your faithfulness has continued through thousands of years and thousands of generations. Thank you. Thank you from the earliest moments of the Bible, this broken relationship from the garden, you've been restoring it and giving us hope that it can be fully restored one day. Thank you for the bread. Thank you for the cup. Thank you for the body that was broken. Thank you for the blood that was shed. Thank you that my sins have been forgiven. Thank you that I've been welcomed into a covenant of brand new life. Lord, take care of my church family. Take care of their hearts, Holy Spirit, as they come forward to have this moment with you. Lord Jesus, would they love you and would they follow you with their lives? We bow down before you, Lord God, our shepherd. We will leave our boats behind. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, we're going to uh, close with a song of praise. Um, this song is called Great Is He, and it's a, a favorite of, of Rachel's that she introduced us to years ago from a choir that she sang. But we invite you all to join in because we'll repeat it lots. And to start, we will go through, there are three different parts, an alto and a soprano, and then a men's part, a bit of a lower part. So sing, kind of join in. We'll go through all the parts together, so just join in and sing. And then when we sing them all together, just choose the part that fits with you. Thank you. 